0: Chapter Sixteen of With Clive in India. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gary Allman. A Tiger Hunt. Commodore James was greatly astonished at the easy success which he had gained, the extraordinary cessation of fire from the sea face and the sound of artillery within the walls, had convinced him that a mutiny among the garrison must have taken place. But upon entering the fort, he was surprised, indeed, at being received with a hearty English cheer from a little body of men on the summit of an interior work. The gate of this was at once thrown open, and Charlie, followed by his party, advanced towards the Commodore i am captain marryat sir of the company's service in madras and was captured three months ago by these pirates when you attacked the place yesterday i arranged to effect a small diversion and, with the assistance of these five native officers of my soldier servant here and these ten men of the merchant service we have i hope been able to do so the native officers disabled the greater portion of the guns during the night, and when you opened fire this morning, we seized this inner work, which is also the magazine, and opened fire upon the rear of the sea defences by dint of our guns and of menaces to blow up the place if they assaulted it, we kept them at bay until their flag was hauled down. Then, sir, Commodore James said warmly, I have to thank you most heartily for the assistance you have given in fact it is you who have captured the fortress i was by no means prepared to find it so strong and indeed have come to the conclusion last night that the force in my command was wholly insufficient for its capture fortunately i determined to try the effect of another day's fire but had it not been for you this would assuredly have been as ineffectual as the first You have indeed performed a most gallant action, and I shall have great pleasure in reporting your conduct to the authorities at home. The sailors had now landed in considerable force. The garrison was disarmed and taken as prisoners on board the ships. Very large quantities of powder were found, stored up, and a strong parties at once began to form mines for the blowing up of the fortifications this was a labor of some days when they were completed and charged a series of tremendous explosions took place many of the bastion were completely blown to pieces in others the walls were shattered the prisoners were again landed and set to work aided by the sailors the great stones which composed the walls were toppled over the steep faces of the rock on which the fort stood and at the end of a fortnight the pirates' hold of Suwandrug, which had so long been the terror of the Indian seas, had disappeared. The fleet returned to Bombay, for it was evidently wholly insufficient to attempt an assault on Gheria. Defended, as that place would be, by the whole pirate fleet, which had, even without the assistance of its guns, proved itself a match for a squadron double the strength of that under the command of Commodore James. The rejoicings at Bombay were immense, for enormous damage had been inflicted on the commerce of that place. By this pirate hold, situated but eighty miles from the port, Commodore James and his officers were feted, and Charlie Marriott had his full share of honor, the gallant sailor, everywhere assigning to him the credit of its capture charlie would now have sailed at once for madras but the authorities wished him to remain as clive was shortly expected to arrive with a considerable force which was destined to act against the french in hyderabad the influence of bussy with the nizam rendered this important province little better than a french possession and the territory of our rivals upon the sea coast had been immensely increased by the grant of the five districts known as the Northern Sirdars to Busi. It was all that the English could do to hold their own around Madras, and it was out of the question for them to think of attempting, single-handed, to dislodge Busi from Hyderabad. Between the Nizam, however, and the Peshwar of the Deccan, there was a long-standing feud and the company had proposed to this prince to aid him with a strong english force in an attack upon hyderabad colonel scott had in the first place been sent out to command this expedition but when clive wearied with two years life of inactivity in england applied to be appointed to active service the directors at once appointed him governor of fort st davis and attained for him the rank of lieutenant colonel in the Royal Army. They directed him to sail at once for Bombay with three companies of the Royal Artillery, each a hundred strong and three hundred infantry recruits. Upon his arrival there, he was to give Colonel Scott any assistance he required. That officer, however, had died before Clive arrived. Upon reaching Bombay, Clive found that events had occurred in the South, which would prevent the intended expedition from taking place. The French government had suddenly recalled Duplex, the great man whose talent and statesmanship had sustained their cause on his return to France, instead of treating him with honor for the work he had done for them, they even refused to repay him the large sums which he had advanced from his private fortune to carry on the struggle against the english and duplex died in poverty and obscurity in his place the french governor had sent out a man by the name of Gotchin, who was weak and wholly destitute of ability at the time of his arrival the english were hardly pressed and a strong french fleet and force were expected on the coast when, however, Mr. Sanders proposed to him a treaty of neutrality between the Indian possessions of the two powers, he at once accepted it, and thus threw away all the advantages had struggled so hard to obtain. The result of this treaty, however, was that the English were unable to carry out their proposed alliance with the Peshwa against the Nisan and Buzi. Upon Clive's arrival, Charlie at once reported himself to him. For a time, however, no active duty was assigned to him, as it was uncertain what steps would now be taken. Finally, it was resolved that, taking advantage of the presence of Clive and his troops, and of a squadron which had arrived under Admiral Watson, the work commenced by Commodore James should be completed by the capture of Jeria and the entire destruction of the pirate power. The Peshwa had already asked them to aid him in his attack upon Angria, and Commodore James was now sent, with the Protector and two other ships, to reconnoitre Geria, which no Englishman then living had seen. The natives described it as of enormous strength, and it was believed that it was an eastern Gibraltar commodore james found the enemy's fleet at anchor in the harbor notwithstanding this he sailed in until within cannon shot and so completely were the enemy cowed and demoralized by the loss of Suwarndrug that they did not venture out to attack him after ascertaining the position and character of the defenses he returned at the end of december to bombay and reported that while exceedingly strong the place was by no means impregnable. The Maharata Army, under the command of Ramaji Pant, marched to blockade the place on the land side, and on the 11th of February, 1756, the fleet, consisting of four ships at a line of seventy, sixty-four, sixty, and 50 guns, a frigate, of forty-four and three of twenty a ship called a grab of twelve guns and five mortar ships arrived before the place beside the seamen the fleet had on board a battalion of eight hundred europeans and a thousand sepoys the fortress of geria was situated on a promontory of rock a mile and a quarter broad lying about a mile up a large harbour forming the mouth of a river The promontory projects to the southwest, on the right of the harbor on entering, and rises sheer from the water in perpendicular rocks, 50 feet high. On this stood the fortifications. These consisted of two lines of walls with round towers, the inner wall rising several feet above the outer. The promontory was joined to the land by a sandy slip, beyond which the town stood. On this neck of land, between the promontory and the town, were the docks and slips on which the pirate vessels were built or repaired, and ten of these, among which was the derby which they had captured from the company, lay moored side by side close by the docks when the fleet arrived off the place. Charlie Marriott had been sent by Clive as Commissioner of the Mahratta Army, a party of Maharada's horsemen came down to bombay to escort him to Charle, at which place the maharata army was assembled for their march he was accompanied by tim and hossein who were of course like him on horseback a long day's ride took them to their first halting place a few miles from the foot of a splendid range of hills which rise like a wall from the low land from a vast distance along the coast at the top of these hills, called in India, Gorts, lay the plateau of the Deccan, sloping gradually away to the Ganges, hundreds of miles to the east. Are we going to climb up to the top of them mountains, Your Honor? No, Tim, fortunately for our horses. We shall skirt their foot for a hundred and fifty miles till we get behind Jerry, You wouldn't think that a horse can climb them, Tim said. They look as steep as the side of a house. In many places they are, Tim, but you see there are breaks in them. At some point, either from the force of streams or from the weather, the rocks have crumbled away, and the great slopes, which everywhere extend halfway up, reach the top. Zigzag packs are cut in these which can be travelled by horse and pack animal. There must be quantities of game, Charlie said to the leader of the escort, on the mountain sides. Quantities, the Maratha said. Tigers and bears swarm there and are such a scourge that there are no villages within miles of the foot of the hills. Even on the plateau above, the villages are few and scarce near the edge. So great is the damage done by wild beasts. But that is not all. There are numerous bands of Dacoits who set up the authority of the Peshwar at defiance, plunder travelers and merchants going up and down, make raids into the Deccan and plunder the low land nearly up to the gates of Bombay. Numerous expeditions have been sent against them, but the decoits know every foot of the hills. They have numerous impregnable strongholds on the rocks, which you can see rising sheer up hundreds of feet from among the woods on the slope and can, if pressed, shift their quarters and move fifty miles away among the trees while the troops are in vain searching for them. I suppose there is no chance of their attacking us, Charlie said. The Dacoit never fights if he can help it, and then only when driven into a corner or when there appears a chance of very large plunder he will always leave a strong party of armed men from whom nothing but hard blows is to be got in peace the journey occupied five days and was most enjoyable the officer of the escort as the Peshwa's agent would have requisitioned provisions at each of the villages but charlie insisted under one pretense or another on buying a couple of sheep or kids at each halting place for the use of his own party and the escort for a few copper coins an abundant supply of fruit and vegetables was obtained and as each night they spread their rugs under the shade of some overhanging tree smoked their pipes lazily the very excellent meal which hosan always had prepared charlie and tim agreed that they had spent no pleasanter time in india than that occupied by this journey Charlie was received with much honor by Ramagey Punt and was assigned a gorgeous tent next to his own. People in England, Mr. Charles, said Tim that evening, turn up their noses at the thought of living in tents. But what do they know of them? The military tent is an uncomfortable thing, and as for the gypsy tent, a dacent pig wouldn't look at it now this is like a palace with its carpet under foot and its sides covered with silk hangings and its furniture fit for a palace father murphy wouldn't believe me if i told him about it on oath if this is making war your honor i shall be in no hurry for pace the mahratta force took up its positions beleaguering the town on the land side some weeks before the arrival of the fleet commodore james with his two ships blockading it at sea there was little to do and charlie accepted with eagerness an offer of ramajee punt that they should go out for two or three days tiger hunting at the foot of the hills well mr charles tim said when he heard of the attention if you want to go tiger hunting tim kelly is not the boy to stay behind but sure your honor if the creatures will leave ye alone why should you meddle with them I saw one in the cage at Arcot, and it's a best. I shouldn't wish to see on a long road in a dark night. It had a way of wagging its tail that made you feel uncomfortable-like to the soul of your boots. And after looking at me for some time, the beast opened its mouth and gave a roar that shook the whole establishment. It's a beast safer to be let alone than to meddle with but we shall be up on top of an elephant we shall be safe enough there you know maybe your honor tim said doubtfully but i mind me that when i was a boy me and my brother peter were throwing sods at an old tomcat of my mother's who had stolen our dinners and it ran up a wall ten feet high well your honor the tiger is as big as a hundred tomcats and by the same token he ought to be able to run up a wall a thousand feet high tim he can't do that indeed i question whether he could run up much higher than a cat we are to start this evening and shall be there by midnight the elephants have gone on ahead at sunset the party started it consisted of ramajee punt one of his favorite officers and a score of soldiers an officer had already gone on to enlist the services of the men of two or three villages as beaters. A small but comfortable tent had been erected for the party and supper prepared. The native shikari, or sportsmen of the neighborhood, had brought in the news that tigers were plentiful and that one of unusual size had been committing great depredations and had only the day before carried off a bullock into the thickets, a mile from the spot at which they were encamped. The saints preserve us, Tim said when he heard the news. A cat big enough to carry off a mouse in her mouth as big as a bullock? seemed almost impossible, Tim, but it is a fact that tigers can carry in their mouths full-sized bullocks for considerable distances, and that they can kill them with one stroke of their paw. However, they are not as formidable as you would imagine, as you will see tomorrow. In the morning, the elephants were brought out. Charlie took his place on the front of a howdah, with Tim behind him. Three rifles were placed in the seat, and these Tim was to hand to his master as he discharged them. Ramajee Punt and his officer were also mounted on elephants, and the party started for their destination. It's as bad as being at sea, Mr. Charles, Tim said. It does roll about, Tim. You must let your body go with the motion, just as on board ship. You will soon get accustomed to it. On reaching the spot, which was a narrow valley with steep sides running up into the hill, the elephants came to a stand. The mouth of the valley was some fifty yards wide, and the animal might break from the trees at any point. The ground was covered with high coarse grass. Ramaji Punt placed himself in the center, assigning to Charlie the position on his right, telling him that it was the best post as it was on this side the tiger had been seen to enter. Soon after they had taken their places, a tremendous clamor rose near the head of the valley. Drums were beaten, horns blown, and scores of men joined in with shouts and howls. What on earth are they up to, Mr. Charles? They are driving the tiger this way, Tim. Now, sit quiet and keep a sharp look, I can be ready to hand me a rifle the instant I have fired. The noise increased and was plainly approaching. The elephant fidgeted uneasily. The beast has more sense than we have, said Tim, and would be off if that little black chap, astraddle of his neck, didn't keep on patting his head. Presently the mouth pointed silently to the bushes ahead and Charlie caught sight for a moment of some yellow fur. Apparently the tiger had heard or scented the elephants, for it again turned and made up the valley. Presently a redoubled yelling with the firing of guns showed that it had been seen by the beaters. Ramajay Punt held up his hand to Charlie as a signal that next time the tiger might be expected. Suddenly there was a movement among the bushes. The tiger sprang out, about halfway between Charlie's elephant and that of Ramajay Punt. It paused for a moment on seeing them, and then, as it was about to spring forward, two balls struck it. It sprang a short distance, however, and then fell, rolling over and over. One ball had broken a foreleg, the other had struck it on the head another ball from homergy punt struck it as it rolled over and over and it laid immovable why didn't you hand me the next rifle tim charlie said sharply it was clean out of my head altogether to think now and you kill it in a moment the tiger is a poor beast anyhow i've seen a cat make ten times the stronger fight for its life holy moses the last exclamation was called from Tim's lips by a sudden jerk a huge tiger far larger than that which had fallen had sprung up from the brushwood and leaped upon the elephant with one fore paw. he grasped the howdah and with the other clung to the elephant's shoulder an inch or two only behind the leg of the mahout charlie snatched the rifle from tin's hand thrust the nozzle into the tiger's mouth just as the elephant swerved round with sudden fright and pain. At the same moment, the weight of the tiger on the howder caused the girth to give way and Charlie, Tim, and the tiger fell together on the ground. Charlie had pulled his trigger just as he felt himself going, and at the same moment he heard the crack of Ramaji's punch rifle. The instant they touched the ground, Tim and Charlie cast themselves over and over, two or three times, and then leaped to their feet, Charlie grasping his rifle to make the best defense he could if the tiger sprang upon him. The creature lay, however, immovable. It's dead, Tim, Charlie explained. You needn't be afraid. And no wonder, Your Honor, when I pitched head first smack onto his stomach, it would have killed the horse. It might have done... Tim, but I don't think it would have killed the tiger. Look here. Charlie's gun had gone off at the moment when the howder turned round and had nearly blown off a portion of the tiger's head, while almost at the same instant the ball of Ramagee punt had struck it in the back, breaking the spine. Death had fortunately for Tim been instantaneously. The tiger last killed was the great male which had done so much damage the first a female the natives tied the legs together placing long bamboos between them and carried the animals off in triumph to the camp the elephant on which charlie had ridden ran some distance before the mahout could stop him he was indeed so terrified by the onslaught of the tiger that it was not considered advisable to endeavour to get him to face another that day, Ramajee Punt therefore invited Charlie to take his seat with him on his elephant, an arrangement which greatly satisfied Tim, whose services were soon dispensed with. I'd rather walk on my own feet, Mr. Charles, than ride any more of those great bests. They're uncomfortable anyhow. It's a long way to fall if the saddle goes round, and the next time one might not find a tiger handy to light on. Two more tigers were killed that afternoon, and, well pleased with his day's sport, Charlie returned to the hunting camp. The next day Hussein begged that he might be allowed to accompany Charlie in Tim's place, and as the Irishman was perfectly willing to surrender it, the change was agreed upon. The march was a longer one than it had been. On the previous morning, a notorious man-eating tiger was known to have taken up his abode in a large patch of jungle at the foot of an almost perpendicular wall of rock, about ten miles from the place where the camp was pitched. The patch of jungle stood upon a steep terrace whose slopes were formed of boulders, the patch being some fifty or sixty yards long and thirty deep. It is a nasty place, Ramajee pumped, said, to get him from. The beaters cannot get behind to drive him out, and the jungle is too thick to penetrate. How do you intend to proceed? Charlie asked. We will send a party to the top of the hill, and they will throw down crackers. We have brought some rockets too, which we will send in from the other side. We will take our places on our elephants at the foot of the terrace. The three elephants took their post at the foot of the boulder-covered rise. As soon as they had done so, the men at the top of the rock began to throw down numbers of lighted crackers, while from either side parties sent rockets whizzing into the jungle. For some time the tiger showed no signs of his presence, and Charlie began to doubt whether he could be really there. The Shikaris, however, declared that he was certainly in the jungle. He had, on a day before, carried off a woman from a neighboring village and had been traced to the jungle, round which a watch had been kept all night. Suddenly, uttering a mighty roar, the tiger bounded from the jungle and stood at the edge of the terrace. Startled at his sudden appearance, the elephants recoiled, shaking the aim of the riders three shots were however fired almost at the same moment and the tiger with another roar bounded back into the jungle i think the rajah said that he is badly hit listen to his roarings the tiger for a time roared loudly at intervals then the sounds became lower and less frequent and at last ceased altogether in vain did the natives above shower down crackers in vain were the rockets discharged into the jungle an hour passed since he had last been heard i expect that he's dead charlie said i think so too ramajay Punt replied But one can never be certain let us draw off a little and take our luncheon after that we can try the fireworks again if he will not move then we must leave him but surely charlie said we might go in and see whether he's dead or not A wounded tiger is a terrible foe, the Ramaji answered. Better leave him alone. Charlie, however, was anxious to get the skin to send home with those of the others he had shot to his mother and sisters. It might be very long before he had an opportunity of joining in another tiger hunt, and he resolved that, if the tiger gave no sign of life when the bombardment of the jungle with fireworks recommenced. commenced He would go in and look for his body. End of chapter 16.